This is the Women of American Manufacturing podcast, where we highlight female leaders and influencers who are revolutionizing the industry. In every episode, we explore each guest's journey into manufacturing, their vision for the future of American manufacturing, and the innovation, creativity, and communication that they bring to the industry. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Women of American Manufacturing podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Athanasiu, and really excited to welcome Laura Romero here to the show today. So, hey, Laura, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thank you for the opportunity. You are so welcome. I'm so glad we could get together today and and finally do this. I know we've been talking about it for a while, but uh, thank you for taking the time and uh, looking forward to the conversation. So take us back to the beginning from when you first finished college and um, what you started to do to where you are today. Sure. And just for a little bit of background, I've been um, I, I've been in the workforce for a couple of decades. I like to say that I'm 75. I just look that good. That's amazing. <laughs> so, not not to dictate my age, but um, that should probably give you some commentary. But um, it, it's always interesting these types of these types of journeys based on starting in college and what you studied. And and I'm always curious to learn how if people have truly followed what they studied in college. So a little bit of insight into me. Um, I went to Chico State in Northern California. It was known as a party school, but also I did receive a really good education. But my studies are completely not uh, aligned with what I'm doing today. So I graduated with a degree in clothing and textiles and a minor in French. So my aspirations were to be uh, a buyer and travel the world. I started working in retail when I was 16. And I've always loved fashion and been involved in that. So all the way through college, I started working at The Gap right out of college. Uh, I spent about three years working for The Gap opening stores. I actually was part of a small management team that opened the very first Old Navy store in San Leandro, California. And we even got to participate in picking the name Old Navy. Wait, so you did not uh, mention that when you first told me that cool little nugget. I know. What? Yes. Okay. Can we pa- can we pause so, there and dig in before we then take you know? <laughs> sure. Um. How did how did you land on that name? You know, it's um. It wasn't something that we came up with out of the blue. Um, corporate just gave all of us an opportunity to um to pick a name out of a out of a collection, and I quite honestly can't recall the history. If you go to gap.com and see all of the history, <laughs> it's probably in there somewhere. But I have that CRS. Can't remember shit. <laughs> That happens to everybody. See, there's that my first, first swear word. <laughs> That's my first time hearing that. Awesome. Yeah. Use CRS all the time. Abbreviation. I love that. I love that. Okay. Awesome. So, okay. So they gave you kind of a menu of options and you got to weigh yes. in. Was Old Navy the one that you also picked or did you choose a different one? Yes. I. Uh, it originally, well, the, the store was called uh, the Gap Warehouse and I even still have a watch that has that on it. So maybe that's worth something on eBay. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but, but they just uh, tried to align it with a particular piece in history that might be interesting or relevant. And I don't know how relevant it is today, but it was kind of cool to be part of that process. But uh, I certainly don't include that on my resume because that was in 1993. So <laughs> still really still cool. You know, that's like, it's like when you're at a networking right. event and you're like, what's one interesting fact about you? And you're like, I helped choose the name Old Navy. Yes, and, and worked and helped launch that, uh, that first store. And I think, I mean, retail and restaurant, the restaurant business, I think are so important uh, for anybody to engage in. I mean, the general public can really suck. <laughs> 
can be really tough to deal with, but it's such a great learning ground for dealing with all different uh, walks of life. And it allows you to exercise some creativity too, not only in just kind of customer service management, but being involved in the whole retail world. It was a passion. But um, my dad had been in technology starting, uh, spent a huge tenure at JVC, Japan Vector Corporation, so on the audio video side, and then moved into software. And I thought, oh, well, that seems interesting. Plus, the money was great and not working on weekends. So I started kind of exploring what, um, what opportunities were outside of the retail world. And I landed a job with a local company called Triad Systems that did software for the automotive aftermarket. And I'll do software in air quotes because it was things like these big load tapes that looked like vinyl records that would be installed into these big antiquated systems at an automotive shop um, for them to track uh, electronic catalogs and parts and, and, and the like. But I was in inside sales and part of that training, I had to spend three months working in an auto part shop, auto part and body shop, which was probably the most interesting experience I've ever had, you know, being in my early 20s and working in a shop full of men with the nudie posters in the back. And <laughs> but, um, you know, I kind of didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew I was confident enough in myself that I could kind of get along with anybody. And I've always been able to get along with male colleagues. And maybe it's because I wasn't overly sensitive. I don't know. I probably fell right in to that. And um, but it, but it was a great learning experience. Um, my dad had always been involved in cars and taught me, I used to change, you, uh, Lindsay, you and I talked about this, about changing our oil and being self-sufficient and working on our brakes and changing the spark plugs and knowing how to change a tire. I can't do any of that today, but, <laughs> but it was still pretty cool. And it gave me some insight into an industry that was so behind the times in evolving from a technological perspective. But, um, Kind of spent about a year and a half doing that, a couple of years doing that. And then I had a lot of friends that I went to college with that were working in big high tech that were making great money. I had no idea what client server was. I was just learning what email was about and um, kind of tapped into that and started working at Oracle in 1996 and in inside sales and spent about 13 years there. Uh, left to pursue another opportunity and then was acquired back in uh, a few years later, which is uh, pretty common. You can run, but you can't hide from the big oracle. But um, I'll stop there and see if you have any questions or if you'd like me to keep going, I can keep going. Yeah. So, no, that, that's amazing. There, there are a bunch of things I want to peel back, but I also want to just highlight like how we got to know each other was through mm -hmm. your work at Plex. So tell yes. me a little bit about, you know, what what you built there, you know, mm -hmm. and how it was leapfrogging you into um, something new. Sure, sure. And one of the reasons why I did join Plex, it was a leadership team that I had worked with previously when I was at uh, Taleo that did talent management software, and that's the company that was acquired by Oracle. So um, I knew the team there. I knew that they were doing some pretty cool stuff. And I've always thought manufacturing was an interesting industry. So I joined them almost six years ago to manage their solution partner or independent software vendor or ISV relationships, which is um, like what paperless parts uh, is it's a complementary solution to our overall offering, and our software uh, package is 100% cloud-based, specifically for manufacturing and manufacturing sub-industries, and primarily the capability is around some lightweight ERP. But this the secret sauce is being able to help manufacturers improve their operations and efficiencies, inventory, and quality on the shop floor, and then tie that back to the back office. So my role going in there was to work with this community of partners that were being managed out of product management and development. 
Um, and that I know inside and out. I mean, I've been doing that for 20 years. I can do that, you know, with a blindfold on and my hands tied behind my back. That's all the easy part. What was challenging was actually learning the manufacturing industry. And I'm still, I think it's one of those that I'll always be learning. Um, just the different processes, the types of decisions that are, that are made, how you really sell and position into those industries and, uh, where some of the key capabilities are that we may or may not be able to deliver, hence the reason for developing partnerships like with paperless parts, for example. So um, joining in that organization, there was not any type of a program or infrastructure that was in place to truly enable and properly manage a partner ecosystem. So the beauty of, of being in this role and having a leadership team, partners weren't really part of their DNA. So it gave me an opportunity to go in and be entrepreneurial and innovate and identify opportunity to kind of create a role for myself. And with my colleagues, we just kind of built a program from the ground up with very little investment and very few resources, but we're able to tap into our existing experience, know what we've learned moving forward and what's needed within the company. And we started building out this whole infrastructure and identifying quicker paths to market through these particular partner relationships. And I mean, I think, yeah, like you said, people sports is an example, but I think, you know, my experience coming in at the beginning of this year where we all had just started working together, hadn't really hit the gas on the partnership, but you were able to mm -hmm. really help us accelerate how we could go to market, right? And really like explain to manufacturers what's available to them if they're already on Plex, you know, what the value of adding paperless parts to their their software stack or their tech stack would be. Um, you know, I think you just did a great job of kind of doing that in a really intentional and meaningful way. It wasn't like this, here it is, you know, figure it out. You know, it was like, you know, hey, learn about it in this way. Hey, here's this, here's this resource. Um, and you put all that information into user groups and the amazing different communities and platforms that Plex offers its users. Um, it's something that I think at, at our company, as we build our partner program, you've really modeled what a successful partner program looks like for us that we're going to you know, aspire to and, and try to replicate for our users. So um, it's been awesome to work with you through that. And I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I've learned so much from you. So I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. I, it's, I always appreciate the feedback. And it's, it certainly makes that's what's so enjoyable about developing partnerships. I was never a fan of direct sales. I'm not the love them and leave them type of person. It's really about establishing and maintaining and growing sustainable partnerships that can help just further add that value, not only to your product, but certainly to your brand and then adding, extending that value to customers. And working with, I think the beauty of working with somebody like a paperless parts is that you're innovative, you're already in cloud, you're already hitting the ground running with business development and sales. And a lot of partners tend to come to the table with their hands out saying, I just want to tap into your customer base and not really do any of the work. But that's what a valuable partnership means is that it's, it's a shared investment. We try to make access to our, our APIs and our documentation pretty self-service and then have support from product and certainly our support organization to help get our partners from point A to point B. But it, it really is a combined effort in making sure that we're educating um, and, and jointly pursuing opportunities together and identifying the right ones that are a right fit for us and not just kind of shooting blanks out into the market. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, anyone who can make your life a little easier, right? That's always a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to, you know, how tech companies, particularly in, in manufacturing, need to look at potential partners. It's like, do they align with your vision, right? Maybe maybe, right. maybe it's not currently in exactly the right spot for you, but like, is it going to help you help get your customers to a place where the, we should all be going as an industry? Um, and, and do they share that vision with you? And I think we, we definitely knew from the beginning that we shared that vision with Plex because you are one of the only ERPs that are completely cloud-based. And that mm-hmm. is just such a differentiator and a key selling point, you know, as we are completely cloud-based. So... I want to peel back some of the, you know, career changes and pivots that you've made over the years because mm-hmm. there have been some really interesting ones. And just to try to understand, you know, what was going through your head at certain moments when opportunities were presented to you and they might have seemed very different or very out of your wheelhouse um, with something that, you know, you you can, it's advice you can offer people based on your experiences. So the more obvious and interesting one might be, you know, that, that auto body experience. You weren't working mm-hmm. for the auto body, but you were working for a company that was asking you to spend two months in an auto body mm-hmm. in a, in a, you know, very male dominant and uh, icky potentially environment. And you were young and um, you did it. So walk me through what that was like. I mean, I, I always love to learn and that's, uh, that's, truly what it's about in, I think, in, in advancing, not just advancing your career, but but staying relevant and learning. And that was part of of why I appreciated uh, Triad rec- making that requirement is really rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty, literally and figuratively, but really learning what the, how the customer was utilizing your technology, <clears throat> excuse me, to make their business better and, and make it easier for them to transact with their customers. And Sure, the environment was what uh, was a little bit was a little bit different, and um, it's you know when I go back, I wish we always think that we had the brain that we did you know thirty years ago <laughs> because we might have made we might have made some different choices, but I, I don't think I would have changed my path at all. And um, yes, it's male dominated. That's kind of how industries as a whole have been, at least in my experience, for uh, for for high tech and and certainly manufacturing. I mean, it's a double whammy there. But, um, but you just, maybe it's just my personality and maybe it's part of my upbringing where I just, I I was brought up to be, to be confident. If something doesn't make you feel comfortable, then speak up and speak out. If it's not received well, then that's not your fault. And I've just, I think I've always just maintained that in the, in the back of my head. And that's really helped me kind of power through some, some challenging instances. That's great advice. And what was another, you know, new opportunity that was presented to you that you chose not to take maybe later on in your career that, Mm -hmm. you know, was a tough decision or a tough call for you personally? When, uh, when I left Oracle the first time. So I had, I had enjoyed a 13 year tenure. I learned so much there and it, uh, it was really, it was really a great experience. And I worked for, I worked from, for great mentors and leaders that allowed me to, to be innovative and do some different things. But when I started seeing friends that I, or colleagues that I'd worked with move on to other things, you kind of get to a point where you've maxed out from a compensation perspective. And I, I, I was getting a little, my, my routine was a little mundane, so I wanted to do something different, but it's really, really scary um, kind of going out because you don't think, or at least I didn't think that I had enough capability to do something different. And I, I worked with a professional coach who ran these power camps for women, and I attended two of them. 
Um, her name is Chris Melching and she was amazing. And I don't think she'd mind me giving her a shout out here, but, uh, but she really was kind of my guiding light, if you will, to empower me to make decisions to leave. And once I started interviewing, I think I shared this with you, a good friend of mine who's, who had left before me, she said, the best thing that I learned about or the most valuable lesson I learned with interviewing was, I really know some shit. <laughs> and it was a good reminder that be confident in your abilities and what you have learned. And once I started going through that process myself, it came down to two big opportunities. One was with a large financial institution doing kind of business development and partners. And one was a $30 million cloud startup. And this was before cloud was even a thing. So this was probably, I don't know, 2009, 2010. And I elected to go with the smaller opportunity because I thought I've got, I've got 13 years of big company experience. I'd like to do something different. And it was such, I'm, I'm so pleased with that decision because it allowed me to kind of cut my teeth in cloud. Um, but I lasted about a year there and then I was recruited by Taleo, which was a lot closer to my house and I didn't want to spend two hours in the car to commute. So, um, but I've been for, yeah, it's not, sometimes you have to let it come down to that, do. right? This like balance of sometimes it's just like my sanity, right. you know, maybe it's not so much about the trajectory it's right. going to put me on. Maybe it's a parallel trajectory, but it's like, that was just convenience, it is. right? It is. But, um, but when, when a recruiter reaches out to you, um, about an opportunity and it wasn't just that it was, you know, down the street from my house, but it was people that I'd worked with previously, um, that were all former Oracle and PeopleSoft and this company and Taleo, it was Taleo. It was doing extraordinarily well at the time. And I enjoyed seven months there before acquisition back to Oracle. But I think the whole point of this is, is take advantage of opportunities as they come, if they are right for you. Not all of them are one size fits all, but for me, it has to be something that's interesting, that's innovative, that's creating a solution that's making companies and people's lives better. And it aligns, aligns with my core values. So I, I completely agree. And I think the the tough part of that, I mean, like most things, it's easier said than done. And when you're going through an interview process, mm -hmm. if it's a company you don't have experience with, you don't know many people at personally because you haven't worked there before, you just don't have friends who are there, how can you really know those things beforehand? Reach out to your network. I mean, find out. It's as simple as going to LinkedIn and seeing who works there and seeing who, if you're not connected with anybody directly who works there, there's somebody in your network that is. <laughs> so it's it's doing that homework. It, it requires effort. It's not just fly by the seat of your pants. And you can be great and confident and excellent at what you do. But without that background, researching the company, researching recent news, researching their executive team, finding out what makes them tick, understanding a little bit about their about their culture and their product and where they've had success. Has there been any bad news about them in the industry? So it, it really requires um, taking the time to do your homework. Yeah. And reaching out with people. I'm sorry, reaching out with people who are close to you or mentors that you've had and talking through it and being brutally honest. If you're scared about something or don't understand it, learn it, figure it out, do it, your homework. I think you just actually segued into what I was about to say. Um, the value of an executive coach, I think, and it, it just like any type of, of professional coach, mm -hmm. even if you don't consider yourself at the executive level, um, I think that can't be overstated 
because it's a sounding board, you know, who their sole interest is in like your happiness and success. And there's no bias being fed into that, right? They're not necessarily, they're not at the company that you're about to consider accepting a job at. They're not a member of your family that maybe normally competes with you. You know, like there are so many all other uh, factors at play when you're using, you know, your closer network as a sounding board. So to be paying someone to help optimize your choices, that'll lead to better mm-hmm. success. I mean, what was the, what was the driving force that made you embark on an executive coach path? And what have some, what do you think the overall influence has been, um, of her on your life? I mean, I know you already said you, she's wonderful, you know, you'd recommend her to anyone, but you know, if you could point to like a few things that she's helped you achieve, that would be, I think really cool to hear. I mean, and she's, she's tough and she will challenge you until you are mentally and emotionally drained in a good way. And really, uh, especially through these um, through these power camps that she ran, it was a small group of women, um, and she ran them either with the same company. So I was I, I got to meet other people that I'm still friends with today, uh, like at or that I worked with at Oracle. I did this I did two courses um, or two long weekends with her, but it's it's really intensive and it really enforces forces you to dig really dig deep. <laughs> and it's almost like a psychological journey in a way. But um, I, I, I don't want to speak too much to her methodologies because that's her, that, that's her IP. But um, small group settings, challenging you with particular situations and even going down the path of doing a lot of role playing and interviewing and the, the, the areas, focusing on the areas where you believe you have a weakness. And I think part of the part of the challenge is just acknowledging that you have a weakness and and calling that out, which if you're not aware of your weaknesses, you definitely should be, because if you have an opportunity to fail, failure is such a driving force to success. And that's where a lot of the focus is, is where have you failed? What have you learned from it? And if you do fail again, it's okay, but make sure you do it quickly and course correct. I love that. Yeah. I I mean, and I think, like you said, it's one thing to acknowledge. It's another to be able to take action to correct it. And that's where like accountability of having a coach to walk you through it, it can make all the difference. And it's actually something I have on my list for 2022 because I will be the first to admit that organization is my weakest point. And that is not acceptable anymore (laughs) at this point in my career and in my life because (laughs) it's not just job wise it's like in my personal life I'm just like not that organized and I'm I'm working on it myself but I really need someone that's not like my fiance or my mom (laughs) or my colleagues calling me out (laughs) on it I need someone who's like that unbiased you know can give me you know beyond just organization but skills like that that I know I need to I need to fix to up level myself so I love that I think that's that speaks to a personality trait that you have, you clearly have that is, you know, just trying to constantly improve and not just for your own benefit, right? For the benefit of the the company and like the customers, the company you're working at and the customers that it's serving, because you know that you can only help them as much as like your skill set allows. And if you can add to your skill set and refine your skill set, it's only going to make everyone else around you better. So cool. I love it. It's a good reminder. I'm making a little note to myself to start researching all over the holidays so I can... I can help you with organization. I'm great at being physically organized. Work vibes and priorities, managing priorities, especially with work. That's... I agree. I, I need some help there. Maybe we can be each other's accountability partners. <laughs> Instead of trying to boil yeah, the exactly. ocean. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yes. That's what it always feels like to me. So yeah, got to chunk it out one thing at a time. Uh, That's what I'm learning. So speaking of, um, I guess, organization and having a lot of things to do all the time, I know you are a big fan of side hustles and you have several yourself. (laughs) So um, I want to hear about that. So tell us a little bit about what they are, how they came to be, and like why you think it's worth spending time on them. It's, and I am a firm believer that everybody is passionate about something and it's, you're right, everybody is busy, but it's so important to recognize what truly makes you happy and how you can, whether you want to build a business around that and maybe set the foundation for something to do if you, when, when you retire, um, or it's might be something that's meaningful that allows you to give back, whether it's community support or participating in a charity. So um, I've, I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial and I just like to do different things. And my goal is not to like end up on Shark Tank, although that would be kind of fun, but uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, it's, I, it's just, again, it's all about learning who you are and identi- and developing new skills. So, uh, a few years ago, um, a gentleman that, uh, with whom I was in a relationship, we started a business. So lesson number one. <laughs> Never go into. I business already love where this is going. With a I'm, significant I'm get my popcorn other. <laughs> and my wine. <laughs> yeah, you might need it. Throw some M and M's in there too, because the sweet, salty thing is really cool. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, he actually came up with, uh, with with a pretty cool design. Uh, we both traveled a lot for work, and he was sitting on a Southwest flight. And y- y- the the story goes, you know, once you get the tray down and you have all your stuff out, it's inevitable that you or the person next to you has to get up and go to the bathroom. So you have to clean everything off. And it's not only is that a pain in the ass, but you could stick something in the, your iPad in the pocket and lose it or forget that it's on the plane and or get some kind of gross disease because that stuff is just riddled with disgustingness uh, or whatever the case may be. So he literally drew out this um, kind of a laptop bag that attached to the tray table that allows you to kind of have like a little workstation, but attach a little bungee to it so you could close the tray with it on it. So if somebody has to get up, you don't have to put away all your stuff. You just attach it to the, the tray latch and on you go. So he was, he showed me this picture and I thought, that's pretty brilliant. So I'm like, let's see if this exists. <laughs> so we just kind of, and, and of course I love this kind of stuff because it goes into my clothing and textiles and kind of design background a little bit. So we started researching online to see if anything like this existed in the market. And we found a couple of things, but it wasn't anything like he designed. So I thought we probably have a really good idea here. So we just started kind of going down this path of well, maybe we can get a prototype made. And he happened to know a couple people that were in the industry that had made like shoes or bags and had relationships with factories in China. So we really started um, mapping this thing out. We hired, um, we did some research on how to set up a business. We, uh, we hired an attorney, which is incredible. I cannot emphasize the importance of having somebody protect your IP um, because we wanted to get a patent for it. And what I learned about myself kind of through this whole process of developing a business is he was more a handshake and a verbal agreement works. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lot more conservative from a business perspective, which is something that I learned because I'm usually not that conservative. But, uh, but we went through this whole process. We designed it ourselves. We sourced having prototypes made. We, had, we got a patent for it. 
we trademarked it. We developed all of our, uh, our packaging. Um, we were creative and scrappy with people who we knew in our network to help us pull this stuff together. Um, we submitted it and to um, a company called The Gromit, who is an online marketplace for makers, primarily in the US. And it's, they focus a lot on kids, women, and seniors who are developing really cool products. So check out thegromit.com, little plug if you want some cool Christmas gifts. But they're based in Boston. And so we were invited, we actually were a finalist in their product pitch contest. So we flew to Boston, we did this product pitch at Fenway that was live on boston.com. And there were about 200 people there. So it was kind of like a mini shark tank. And uh, while we didn't win, we were one of the top three that were selected, which was pretty cool. We didn't get to sell it through, um, through the grommet, but, uh, but it was just a really great experience. Um, so we just started, some people found us along the way that uh, had relationships with like Sky Mall and Sharper Image. So we actually sold our, so we, we ended up creating this bag and we sold it in those two, uh, through those two venues. I mean, we didn't make a million dollars on it. I invest, I was a sole investor with some stock that I had. So um, I really wasn't in it to make the money. I just wanted to see if I could do it. And so it was something that we did. And you know, after we broke up, I took over the business myself. So I still have the LLC under my name. I still, I have the patent. I have the, all the trademarks. I still have the bag and I'll do something with it eventually, but <laughs> that's my so can fun people, side hustle Can people story. still buy one of these? And, wh and what is it called? It's called Trabien. So with, with all that. things, I love French, but it's T-R-A-Y-B-I-E-N. So to play on the train, it's for an airline trade table, um, specifically in coach. It doesn't work in, in first. But um, it's still sitting. I've got. I still have like three hundred bags sitting in a warehouse um, in <laughs> South Bay, and I'm not actively selling it right now. But if anybody wants one, they can. They can certainly buy one. But um, my whole premise of this was I would eventually. I've, I have some other des uh, design ideas that I want to do with it to make it a little bit more portable, and um, I eventually I would like to do it and just make it into a social enterprise where I take the profits and really make it about donating it to charity. That's awesome. I mean. What you just described is like side hustles taken to a whole new level. Yeah. You know, it's like I think of a side hustle as like, oh, yeah. sometimes I watch dogs or like sometimes yeah. I sell some stuff on Etsy. Which is great. You mm -hmm. like did the whole like separate LLC, you know, it, it's yeah. incredible. And um to have done that pitch tournament and all of that, that's so cool. Fun. So you must have learned so much about yourself and about running a business and have a totally yes. different respect for entrepreneurs as mm -hmm. a result. Well, and also learning about manufacturing too. So this was before I started at Plex. So we we were adamant about working with a U.S.-based manufacturer. So we found one in Sherman, Texas that owned their own plants in China and Thailand. And they specialized in cases. They did a lot for the military and for some of the big hardware companies. Um, but uh, but that was great too, to go see their the whole processes and, um, and you... The, the, certainly the cost difference, uh, but they also did fair labor practices, which was, we were very keen on making sure we supported. I mean, yeah. And that'll feed into ultimately, if you can make it into social enterprise, you already started it in, in the right way. Right. And that's a lot easier yes. to mm -hmm. do rather than have to go back and change all of your production methods. Um, that's right. Oh, I love that. So I admire that so much. Takes yeah. guts. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, what do you have to lose? Just some money. Right. It's um, some time. I mean, money. Yeah. And I, yeah, I lost money. But, but that was part of, part of the risk. And um, I was, I mean, fortunately, I was in a situation where it didn't, it was, um, it didn't 
you know, kill me right. financially. But that was the goal of it too. We were kind of, we were smart, uh, or at least I was smart about how we went about it to ensure that it wasn't going to be a huge, uh, huge money right. drain. No, so cool. I, I love learning this about people because you just you never know what they're doing outside of work unless you really right. you really yeah. ask and you really work alongside them on a daily basis and it comes up organically in conversation. So um, would would never have thought that would be something you were passionate about. But I I love learning that about you. <laughs> so cool. Um, and it is a really interesting tie into manufacturing. So good good point there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Laura, like. As, as your career has evolved and as you've, you know, done, done the side hustle thing, you know, you have so much experience to offer and you have offered it to many people along the way. And, you know, how have you approached mentor opportunities, mentoring opportunities as the mentor? It's, um, I, <laughs> I hope I approach it. Actually, this is kind of another side hustle <laughs> that a, a friend, a, a, a really dear friend of mine uh, and I started. We um, we wanted to provide uh, a mentorship program for women in midlife, uh, especially women who might have put pause their careers to raise a family or elected not to have a career in order to raise a family. And I have quite a few friends that are in both of those veins that have always said, hey, what do I do now that my kids are out of the house? I'm an empty nester. I'm struggling with that as it is, but I don't have any relevant skills, which my first inclination is I call BS on that. Because if you think about what you've done to raise a family, <laughs> that's, I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack there. But again, it goes back to what are your passion? What are you passionate about? And I've just had friends ask me, and I've even had friends ask me to mentor their kids who are either getting ready to leave college and go into jobs or that who might even be in high school and entertaining whether or not they even want to go to college because it's college isn't for everybody. And, um, but that's kind of how we fell into it. I mean, we, we ended up having too much, um, too much involved in our day jobs to fully execute having kind of a formal business around that. But I just continue to do that because I like to learn what people are doing and the challenges that they're having because it's probably something that I may not have dealt with it, but I've learned from it. And if I deal, if I have that challenge in the future, I kind of know how to how to address it or how I would approach it. So um, I think part of the key the key things that I really try to emphasize with um, when kind of coaching or mentoring is the value of your network and building that network and maintaining that network. It takes work. It's like a marriage. It takes work. And um, reaching out if you have a question, but also being very reciprocal in being able to kind of pay it, pay it forward. Um, and anytime a recruiter calls you, especially if you're well into your career, even if you love your job or you're happy in it, always, you know, if you know they're not a complete, because some are some are not great, <laughs> but, but, but those that you believe it's always worth having a conversation. And if it's not something you're interested, offer to extend it to your network. And in some cases, if they're an external recruiter, they'll pay you a referral fee. I've actually been able to take advantage of that. You know, if you, if you can offer them a, a candidate or somebody in your network, but it just, it, it just goes back to, it's all a learning experience. And, um, the, the more people you meet and engage and invite into your network, you never know when you might need them. That's so true. No, and that's a great tidbit. But tidbit, I didn't really know that about recruiters. So, folks, pick up the phone. Yeah, <laughs> can make money off of it. <laughs> yes, only with external independent firms, but right. not in house. Right. But. Oh, that's so cool. And I totally agree about like the reciprocity piece of mm-hmm. of maintaining your professional relationships because I think 
again, back to the busyness, you know, we're all so busy. It's tough to take a moment out of your day to, you know, answer an email when it's not relevant Mm -hmm. to like your immediate to do's. Right. And maybe it's someone you worked with in the past who's asking for a a referral or asking a question about something, you, you know, or you worked on while you were there or something like that. Um, and if you do that for them, it'll come back in spades. And Mm -hmm. I think we are just so in the mindset of like, I just need what I need and I'm going to go to that person Mm -hmm. and that person, that's the person, but how can you help them later on too? Um, it's something I actually have been trying to do with, um, just like commenting more on people's LinkedIn posts and engaging Mm -hmm. with them, even if they're not people that are in the industry I'm in now, you know, there's someone I overlapped with years ago, just like, being present, you know, and engaging with the con, they, they took time to put that out there. Right. And I don't need to pick up the phone and say, Hey, how are you? But it's like, Hey, yeah, this is a really interesting article. Thanks for posting. And that can even can keep the doors open so that, you know, they might come to you someday with an opportunity, with a question, and you might need them for an opportunity or a question. So it doesn't take long. I just, I think people think about it like it's just this huge task to keep in touch with like hundreds of people that mm-hmm. they consider their network, but it's, it's really not much. Um, a little bit goes a long way, I think. You're right. I mean, and the social and social media is so powerful and everybody's on it. And I know, um, kind of the, the Facebooks and the in- Instagrams and some of the recent news around that, you know, it's, I, I like to stay engaged because I like to at least keep to your point, you know, what, what people are doing, whether it's business or friendships. And if there's something that's interesting or relevant, certainly comment and let them know that that's important to you, or it's had some kind of an impact to you. But even more so with your, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter's in, in business, it's, there's a lot of fantastic content out there. And it's, um, that's, that's learning in and of itself. I mean, and spend 15 minutes a day on it, take a break, go for a walk, listen to a, 15 second, or excuse me, 15 minute TED talk or a podcast, or there's, there's a lot of good stuff that's out there. Totally. I thought you were going to say like, go on a walk and just mess around on LinkedIn the whole time. And I was going to be like, no, oh, no, no, no. Look, look at the trees, the like, audible. smell the air, <laughs> smell the air while you're listening. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yep. Yeah. That is it. That is advice I can sign off yes. on um, for sure. So this is a great conversation, Laura. I th- I could talk to you all day. Um, you Likewise. have so much great experience to share and it's fun talking to you about it. Um, but all things must come to an end. And I like to end on um, the rapid fire question note. So if you're ready, uh, yes. we'll begin those. Okay. Cool. Okay. So who is one famous person you wish would work in manufacturing? Micro. Mm, contact. Of America's dirtiest jobs. Oh, Remember? Yes. He's... He, and, and he's, and I know this is rapid fire, but he's such, we had him as a guest, uh, as a keynote, and he's so amazing with manufacturing and developing scholarships for kids and really getting kids into the, back into the trade. That's a great answer. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know his Huge name. Proponent. I should know his name. I'm embarrassed, but, um, no, don't. I it's hear about, about it all the time. So yeah, that would be really cool. That'd be a great way to draw more attention to, um, how awesome manufacturing is. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. so I think you're going to have a few answers to this question, but what is your favorite blog or podcast? Brene Brown's Unlocking Us. I think that's the second time we've had that answer. Or her Dare to Lead or pretty much anything she does. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. She walks this line that I forever envy and I aspire to of mm-hmm. being like so real, raw, and funny, but also yes. like vulnerable and, and, and cheesy in some, in, mm-hmm. some, in some ways, but doesn't feel cheesy. Right. I don't know how she does it. No. And she truly like, loves pe- her people that she 
interviews. <laughs> yeah. And I, I find that I never roll my eyes and I, I constantly roll my eyes when I listen to people speak it's something I'm working on as well. But it, <laughs> did I do that out loud? <laughs> mostly when they're getting cheesy, right? Cause it's like, ugh, I just not mm-hmm. part of like who I am. But when she does it, I'm just like, oh my God, more like, give me more. I love it. So I don't know. Fangirling. Um, okay. Moving on. <laughs> What's the last movie you watched? Venom 2. Is that adventure? It's Marvel. Horror? I'm a Marvel geek. Oh, okay. It's superhero or anti, anti-hero. <laughs> How was it? Awesome. I just, I, I love that and Deadpool and <laughs> I'm a sucker I, for I, I can Marvel. get on, on board with Deadpool. I love that yeah. too. So is, is Venom in the same ilk? It is. It is. Okay. And I highly recommend the first one and the second one. It's, it's got a little campiness to it and it's, uh, it's entertaining. Cool. Okay. I'll add it to my list. Yes. Do you have any pets? I think this would be I no did. right now. Okay. Let's skip no, it. Let's skip my it. Sweet, no, I'm happy to say my sweet Violet who uh, went to, did made her journey over the Rainbow Bridge in August. I have a little bone to represent her. Oh, that's so sweet. I miss my beasts. Yeah. Any plans to get another? Not at the moment as I'm embarking on my new career journey. <laughs> which will... I respect we it. We might finish yeah, gotta that. Gotta settle in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you have some fun travel coming up too. So a, a little yes. bit uh, more flexible of a lifestyle without a pet at home. Yes. Okay. So what's the last vacation you took? Just down to Southern California for a friend's Halloween party. So spent some time on the beach and it was very short and sweet, but I'm ready for a big, long vacation. What did you dress up as, if anything? I was Rosie the Riveter. Yes. I'll send you a picture. Yes, please. <laughs> Maybe we'll use that as the photo for this episode you on can. our website. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that would be outstanding. I'll send it to, I'll send you a couple. <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. I should solicit more Halloween photos for these, these oh, yes. posts. I, that's something that never occurred to me, but that's, uh, yeah, I want to make a note of that. So I know you've worked from home for a while. <laughs> what is your, you know, work from home hack or secret? Stand up when you can if you have a stand up desk and multitask. <laughs> We're, but doing things like chores or, um, and then taking breaks because we're, you know, online all the time. I'm constantly going for walks, even when I'm on calls, just to get outside. It was great when I had a dog because she had to go out too, but I do that anyway. Multitask, do some chores, take breaks. Yeah. And standing up is like, just give stand your hip up. flexors a break. Like you need to stretch, do mm-hmm. some 10 minute yoga or stretching. Preach. Yep. Um, okay. Favorite food happens to be my favorite question, actually. Bacon. <laughs> what kind? Any crispy, extra crispy bacon. Are you like a maple cured, uncured, applewood smoke? Whatever. Anything. I, I love the pig. So <laughs> I love the cow too. But bacon is goes great with everything. I, I And champagne, but if I have to pick one, I can't live without bacon. Do you ever have bacon and champagne, just those two? Oh, 100%. We went to a, um, we went to a bacon and champagne festival a few years ago before COVID in uh, downtown Pleasanton. They had all of the vendors out. And so all of the local chefs would make bacon-inspired food, and it was paired with bubbly. I'm sorry. This exists? Yeah. <laughs> it did before is it, COVID. Is it coming back? <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. It was so much fun. And oh, yeah, that was definitely an Uber requirement. There was no driving (laughs) to that event. (laughs) That is incredible. Boston needs that. Bacon and bubbly. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I love that so much. 
Okay. Yes. Going to be hard to wrap up when I just want to talk about that. But in your opinion, <laughs> what is the number one reason why more women should work in manufacturing? Because it's cool. It's underserved. And it needs women's leadership. Well, that's a great answer. That's like, it cuts through everything. That's exactly why. This was awesome. Thank you, Laura. Uh, I Thank really, you. really enjoyed the conversation. Obviously, just like you're, you're a great partner and a great ally in this industry. So if anyone uh, listening to this episode wants to get in touch with you for, you know, the million reasons they could want to, <laughs> uh, based on how interesting you are, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? Through LinkedIn. And okay. I'll send you, I can send you the link to my profile. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for spending time with me today, Laura. It was awesome to chat and I can't wait to see uh, what your next career step is. Thank you so much. I'll, uh, you'll see a new post when I start on the 29th. Can't wait. Thanks right. for the opportunity. Have a great rest of your day. You too. You're very welcome. Take care. Bye. The Women of American Manufacturing podcast is brought to you by Paperless Parts. Paperless Parts empowers job shop and contract manufacturers to modernize and grow using the company's secure ITAR-compliant cloud-based estimating platform. The software streamlines manufacturers' existing workflows by combining business process automation tools and a proprietary geometric pricing engine to power configurable formulas that drive estimating consistency and accuracy. The platform integrates with ERP systems to level up front office business operations and customer communication and enables more efficient responses to RFQs for a variety of manufacturing processes, including sheet metal fabrication, CNC machining, and additive manufacturing. Over 1 million files have been uploaded and analyzed through the platform to support the estimating process for manufacturers providing components and assemblies for the aerospace and defense, medical, semiconductors, and industrials sectors. Privately funded by manufacturing industry experts, Paperless Parts was founded in 2017 and is headquartered in Boston. You can learn more at www.paperlessparts.com.